0: Today we're in Mark chapter six, verses thirty-three to forty-four. If you want to turn in your Bibles, there it'll also be on the screen. Behind. And we're we're gonna something that we we've uh, we've done in the past, and we'll just keep doing it. But if you if you can, if you want, please stand for the reading of God's word. So Mark chapter six, beginning in verse thirty-three. you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Well, I think today's message from the Lord is incredibly timely. And I pray that God speaks to each of us today uh, like he has To me, this past week or so, as I've been preparing this message, and the premise for today's message is that Jesus sufficiently provides. I'm going to start by reading Psalm 23, or by, by quoting it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This miracle story is the only miracle story other than the resurrection of Jesus to be found in all four of the Gospels. It includes, uh, it is included to highlight the power of Jesus, yes, but there is much more beneath the surface that I would like to investigate with you this morning. Uh, This is a story which demonstrates that Jesus is the Messiah who leads his people as a good shepherd. It is a contrast between Jesus as the good shepherd and the evil shepherds of Israel, some Roman, some Jewish. And we read, as we read last week, Herod hosted a great feast uh, full of sensuality and malice and affluence and death. You remember that? In contrast, now Jesus is going to host a great feast, but Jesus' feast is full of love and compassion and mercy. A very deep contrast. So Jesus says this concerning leadership a little bit later in the Gospel of Mark. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over you. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's from Mark chapter 10. So today we're going to highlight the contrast between good shepherd and a bad shepherd, a good king and a bad king. Herod's feast was unpredictable and deplorable and dangerous. And the feast we'll see Jesus provide today is generous and loving and peaceful. Herod's feast ended in the beheading of an innocent man. Jesus' feast ended in all the people eating and being satisfied. Herod's leadership was characterized by cruel and forceful treatment of his subjects. And Jesus' leadership was characterized by lovingly serving those whom he led. As we saw last week, following the way of Jesus is, it may not always lead to uh, comfort and ease. Though John and Jesus lovingly served others by preaching a message of love and peace, ironically, the truth led to opposition and persecution and death. The book of Mark is written so that we come to understand who Jesus is, what he is like, and what it is like to follow him. Through the stories, we get to see who, what Jesus does, and we get to hear what he says. It is meant to show us what this life is about. It is about following a servant savior and a loving God. We receive forgiveness and grace that is offered to us freely by him, and then we tell all the world that he, what he has done for us and how he has shown great mercy upon us. Where we get mixed up in this, and I see it all the time, is that we compartmentalize Jesus to our religious life and our good deeds. But then work, and play, and politics, and survival, and entertainment, they all have their own compartments, and actually in each compartment has its own leader. In work and play, we follow the advice of the experts. We do whatever they tell us to do in that spot. In politics, we have our, politi- our politician of choice, and the one who stands for truth and justice, according to us, and we follow whatever they have to say in their promises regarding what what's going to happen in the future, how they're going to, how they're going to solve the world's problems. And in entertainment, we allow perverse voices to speak into our lives. It seems radical to consider that we would follow one voice, one man, one leader, one shepherd in all areas of our life. In fact, it sometimes seems uh, constricting or unwise or even naive. But this is what Jesus demands, that he alone has our allegiance that his voice is the one voice that we hear and we follow. And why could he demand such a thing? Well, because he's God. And he proved it through all these miraculous things that he did and the gracious way in which he did all these miraculous things. And that's why this story is so important, so uh, applicable for today. So back to verse 32 and 33 in in our passage for today, we see that Jesus had called his disciples away to a desolate place for a little bit so that they could rest for a while. And and they had no time to come and go. They had no leisure. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place. And then many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all of the towns and got there ahead of them. All right? So we pick up the story there, and Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. They head to another shore of the lake, looking for a desolate place where they can rest. Instead, they can't seem to get away from the crowds. The crowds ran on foot from all around and they got there ahead of the disciples. How discouraging that would have been. Here are the disciples already tired and worn out. They had stories for Jesus and questions about what they'd experienced as they got sent out on their mission. They needed time to process with him. They needed time to grieve the death of John the Baptist because that's just when they heard about it. But they land in the midst of this huge crowd and this is no small band of groupies either. The last verse in our passage Says that it's 5,000 men, just men, not including women and children. Now we've seen that number in Mark's gospel before, haven't we? You remember? 5,000 demons, a legion of demons in that one man, remember? The demoniac? So 5,000 men equals a, a Roman legion. In John's account of this story, in the gospel of John, chapter 6, uh, he sheds some light on the nature and the temperature of this crowd. They were not gathered to simply hear Jesus or to see more of his miracles. They had run there to this particular place in the wilderness, away from the prying eye of the Roman soldiers, to make Jesus their messianic king. We know this because John actually says it. In John chapter 6, verse 15, it says this, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So think about it. Jesus could heal the sick. Jesus could cast out a legion of demons. Jesus could calm a storm. Jesus could raise the dead. Jesus could provide food for an army in the middle of the wilderness. He could do it all. Let's storm the Roman castle. Let's regain our freedom and our land. Let's usher in God's kingdom. After all, we are his chosen people and a covenant nation, and this is the land that he promised to us. Let's go take it. And Jesus can lead the way. Think of it. We will be undefeatable. Our injured will be healed, our dead will be raised, and our bellies will be full. We will have nothing to worry about. The account in John continues. The same people came to Jesus the next day so that they could receive another free meal. But Jesus turned them down. He tried to get to them to understand that he had not come to lead an insurrection and, re- and rebel against Rome. No, Jesus was trying to open their eyes to the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom of which he was the ruler. A kingdom very unlike Herod's kingdom, the Roman kingdom. A kingdom very unlike that. Jesus, who is the king in God's kingdom, he rules by lovingly serving his subjects, his sheep. His loving service, his providential provision was about more than one meal's worth of bread. It was, it was about resurrection life to eternal life, not simply a few more years on this cursed planet. So tragically, at the end of John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, many of the disciples and people that followed him deserted him. They didn't want what he had to offer. As is often the case, people only want what they can see. They want something tangible. They want earthly kingdom blessings with a powerful conquering king. They do not want a ridiculous message about resurrection to a heavenly kingdom with a weak, compassionate, serving servant. This seems naive and foolish and even stupid, Many people are tripped up by Jesus. They stumble, just like his hometown, remember? But to those who believe, to the insiders, this is what Mark is saying, to those who are inside, the secret of the kingdom of God is revealed. What seems foolish is actually the wisdom of God. What seems weak is the power of God at work. What seems insignificant is the greatness of God. So please keep this in mind as we enter this familiar story. The story is so familiar. I mean, we've heard it over and over again. We often miss the potent message that it delivers. So keep that in mind as we go forward. So here we go. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark gives us a peek into the compassionate heart of Jesus. But to fully understand Mark's imagery in this story, we're going to have to read a passage from the Old Testament. All right? So if you want to start turning there, turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Not a very familiar passage to most, but it's a really good one. It sheds a lot of light on this. So Ephesians chapter or sorry, Ezekiel chapter thirty-four, we're gonna start in verse second half of verse two. It says this, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding your sheep, or sorry, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts." My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Sounds like a pretty sad state. And then you down to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Verse 13 And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, and by the ravines, and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on the rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord." I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And then down to 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed the sheep. He will feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. All right, let's recap what I just read. The leaders of Israel, the spiritual and political leaders, were perverse and humane and cruel to God's people. The people suffered under the leadership of these bad shepherds. In response, God himself declares that he will come and he will be the shepherd of his sheep. In the same breath, God says he will set up a shepherd over his sheep, his servant David. Now, he's not speaking about the David that we know of, He had died years before. This is a reference to his line, a person in his his line, someone that would come from David's generation. So a descendant of David who would reign, and the heir of David was well-known in Jewish belief to be the promised Messiah, the servant of the Lord. So this servant, David, would feed the sheep and be their shepherd. So keep this Old Testament in context as we read, Back in Mark, chapter 6, verses 33 and 34. Well, we just read 33. So, so 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were what? They were like sheep without a shepherd. Remember hearing that back in Ezekiel? So Jesus goes ashore, and he sees this great crowd. Now, Jesus could have stayed in the boat. He could have let the crowd, left the crowd in anticipation. He could have turned around and gone somewhere else. He could have let uh, someone else deal with it. But no, Jesus went ashore into the midst of the great crowd. And he had compassion on them. And this is the heart of Jesus. He was not full of judgment, not full of anger or righteous indignation, not concerned with their wrong and misguided motives. He did not jump On the insurrectionist bandwagon, so to speak, he did not grab his wooden crate or his soapbox out of the boat and stand tall and mighty and call the people to follow him as they so desperately wanted. On the flip side, he did not belittle them or shame them for their misguided motives, and he did not send them away. Instead, he had compassion on them. Why? Why compassion? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The imagery is full of meaning. Humans are herd animals, if you haven't noticed that. Uh, In fact, the Bible likens us to sheep, which they're stupid and fearful and clumsy and weak and defenseless. It's not really a compliment. Um, Sheep don't know what's good for them or what's bad for them. Uh, They They will eat what is poisonous. They will drink what is contaminated. They will fall over and not be able to get up. Sheep left to themselves make stupid, sinful, deadly, dumb decisions. This is true of us. We need a shepherd. And sheep will follow their shepherd, whoever that is. Where the shepherd goes, so go the sheep. What happens to the shepherd will happen to the sheep. If he's a good shepherd, the sheep will be well cared for. If he's a bad shepherd, the sheep will suffer. Israel's shepherds at Jesus' time, just like in the days of Ezekiel, were evil, and they mistreated their sheep with cruelty. But more than that, the shepherds did not lead the sheep to spiritually feed upon God's word and worship God with their hearts, souls, and minds, and strength. They led the people astray. They led the hearts of the people away from the good pasture of God's word and the refreshing water of his presence to the contaminated and polluted refuse of the world. As their sheep fell, they would feast upon them. We saw that in Herod's Herod's, uh, feast. Now if you look around, the same thing happens today. Evil shepherds leading their own sheep to contaminated and poisonous food and water so they can pray and feast upon them when they're done. So why didn't Jesus lead the insurrection? why didn't he just wipe out all the evil shepherds right then and there? He could have. He could have taken this legion of men, a legion of men, 5,000 men were there, ready to go, and stormed the castle. He could have gotten rid of the evil shepherds once and for all. He could have fulfilled the prophecy of Ezekiel, right? I mean, that's, that's what I read. I'm sure that's what was in the minds of many of the crowds, too. This is why in John's a crowd the crowds were so disappointed in Jesus. But what does Jesus do? What is Jesus' response to seeing sheep without a shepherd? What is Jesus' response to seeing people who are being treated cruelly and harshly? He began to teach them many things. It says that in the end of verse 34. Look at that. He saw them like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. As a good shepherd, Jesus led them from focusing on earthly kingdoms From harmful and dangerous leaders, from poisonous and deceitful lies, out into a desolate place where he could feed them refreshing truth, point them to the spiritual kingdom, and minister to and heal them. It's just like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. With Jesus as their shepherd, they were led in truth and righteousness. In his presence, they did not lack the necessities of life. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus fed them the nourishing good news of God's word. Jesus knew that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is the source of nourishment and sustenance for our weary souls. He leads me beside still waters. Jesus led them to the fountain of truth. Jesus said to the woman at the well, remember, whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He restores my soul. Jesus' intention was to restore their souls, not restore their nationhood. Nations come and go, souls live forever Jesus is the only shepherd who can restore the souls of men and women to their rightful state in harmony with their creator, God. And he leads me in paths of righteousness. Jesus' mission was to lead them into paths of righteousness. Belief in him meant forgiveness of sins and peace with God. Repentance and belief led to righteousness and life. Jesus knows what we really need. And what we as sheep really need is direction in life. Someone to tell us what is true, what is not, and for daily provision and eternal life. That's what we need. Thankfully, Jesus has the answer to all of our needs. Because he is the way. In a world full of confusing religions and political parties and movements, if we follow his footsteps, we will never get lost. And he is the truth in a world where it is increasingly more difficult to know what, who is telling the truth and who is not, if we continue to listen to the teachings and stories of Jesus, we will know what is true and what is right. And he is the life. In a world that is entirely inconsistent in its definition of and view of life, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Life. Jesus is what we need. He is the good shepherd. He will never lead us astray. He will always provide and protect us. And Jesus' compassion is what opens the door to his incredible provision and protection. So, point number two Jesus' command, verse 35 to 37. Let's look at this. Today we're going to go a little bit longer, so just bear with me. I'm kind of taking this. Uh, time of being together to my advantage, I can speak longer to you. (laughs) So bear with me. 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he said, or he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? All right, so... They come to him, they say, this is a desolate, hour, or a desolate place and the hour is late. So Jesus had been teaching them for quite some time now. It was beginning to be late in the afternoon. The sun would be setting in an hour or so and would not give the people time enough to go to the marketplaces and purchase goods for their evening meal. And if there was a local restaurant or fast food joint, they would never be able to accommodate all these people. There were too many of them for one establishment or one town to handle. I think if I were in a situation with the disciples, I'd be right there with them. Like, look, all these people, don't they know it's getting late? They have been out in the sun without food and water for hours now, and we're somewhat responsible for it because Jesus just won't stop preaching? You think I'm (laughs) long-winded? The elders haven't had to interrupt me and tell me that you're hungry yet. So (laughs) uh, Jesus. So the disciples are like, hey, you got to stop preaching and send them away, all right? So Jesus' answer, though, is very interesting. He says, you give them something to eat. I can imagine there was quite a bit of discussion right here, right? Can you imagine being there? There have to have been rolling of eyes, hands thrown in the air, groans and whispers. Can you believe this guy? Here he goes again. He's, he's got to be joking. Like, what are we supposed to do? Mark's gospel is one of the only is like the only gospel out of the four that seems to cast a negative light on the disciples all the time. You'll see it over and over again. They don't, they're not pictured with this great, like, super spiritual people. They're just like me. And I'm thinking just like all of us. So their answer to Jesus' command in Mark is a bit accusatory and incredulous and even derogatory. Like, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? To eat? Like, how are we going to do that? And like, look, look, look what you're asking us to do. So what's happening here is the disciples want to send the people away and Jesus wants them to feed them. Disciples are at a loss. Even if there was a town close enough and the town had enough bread to feed this legion of men plus women and children on top of that, how would they purchase it all? They did not have enough money. They did not have enough time. They did not have a delivery service. They didn't have a plan. But they were looking at what they didn't have and they did not consider what they did have. They did not consider using the power and authority that Jesus had given them, and it was readily at their disposal. Remember, they had just gotten back from casting out demons and healing people. They had the capacity to do it. And I think Jesus wanted his disciples to take the lead on this. They had just returned from doing miracles, and now he wanted them in faith to work this out. He was giving them a chance to be the miracle workers. And at the same time, Jesus knew that they weren't going to take the bait. So this becomes an incredible object lesson for them and us as Jesus demonstrates the nature of his provision. And this is our last point today. See, we're getting to the last point. Jesus' provision, verse 38 to 44. Let's read it. And he said to them, "'How many loaves do you have here? Go and see.' And when they had found out, they said, "'Five and two fish.' Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass." So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 basketfuls, baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate of the loaves were 5,000 men. Okay, a few thoughts related to Jesus' provision. He did what others refused to do. He served the people instead of using the people. Back in Ezekiel, verses 14 and 15, Ezekiel 34, it said this. He says, I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land, and on the rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains. I myself will be the shepherd of my people. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord god i will seek the lost and it goes on jesus fulfilled the prophecy of being the good shepherd he fed them spiritually and physically and he healed them and he bound up the wounded he he healed those who were hurt he had compassion on the masses he loved the ones the other leaders did not he did not take from them as the evil shepherds described in Ezekiel did. He did not lord it over and execute the sheep as evil Herod had done. This was not about promoting himself. Many, if not most, people in Jesus' position with a legion of men ready to go to war with him would have stepped into that opportunity and led an insurrection. Not Jesus. Though he very easily could have rode the wave of popularity, stepping on people all the way to the top, he chose instead to serve them, to come underneath them. He quietly gave them something to eat as they pondered what he had just taught. We can be sure that he was teaching about the kingdom of God, about repentance and belief for the forgiveness of sins. He was pointing people to the eternal kingdom, not the temporal kingdoms of this world. So he used his power and authority for the sake of others. Jesus did not seek his own advancement or his own prestige. Instead, he humbly served the crowd for their own good. Jesus did not come to overthrow a government or establish his earthly kingdom. This was not his objective, or he would have seized this opportunity. Years ago, I heard it taught that Jesus came to be the Messiah for Israel, to usher in the Messianic kingdom. But Israel rejected him, and so instead he died and rose to create the church. In essence, this, the church was like plan B in the, in the great plan. And I don't, I don't believe this interpretation is correct. If there would have been a time for Jesus to step into the messianic role as Israel saw it, this would have been it. Israel did not reject him. They wanted to make him their king. But that was not what Jesus came to do. And because he didn't fulfill their wishes, he walked or they walked away from him. The crowds wanted Jesus to use his power to conquer and rule at the present time. They only saw the temporal. Jesus came to use his power to serve and save all nations through his death and resurrection. He saw the eternal. He came so he could conquer death and rule all people, past, present, and future, in an eternal kingdom. So he fed them truth, not a line. Number two, he used what was available I love this. Jesus took what was readily available and he multiplied it. He used the disciples and he used a boy's lunch. The disciples, Jesus gave his followers responsibility and a task to accomplish and he let them do it. Jesus asked the disciples to join in with him. In fact, he asked them to feed the crowd. Unfortunately, they missed the opportunity to do it all themselves. They could have actually done this miracle by themselves, I think. Uh, But Jesus had given them permission to do it. He commanded them to do it. Although they failed at the opportunity like a good teacher always does with his pupil, Jesus basically said, okay, come here, let me show you what I mean. Here's what is possible with the power and authority that I gave you. So he distributes the food. Jesus' disciples took the food from his hand and they passed it on to others. Now notice, they did not keep what he gave them to themselves. And, just as importantly, they had to keep going back to the source for more. I wonder how many trips it took. I would imagine that this process took quite a while. Distributing food to possibly 10,000 people. If every man had a plus one, it would be 10,000. I'm sure there's more. It's not a little task. I would have been wondering, as I headed back for the tenth time, how long can Jesus keep this up? There was only five loaves and two little fish. Like, how in the world can he keep doing this? So he had them distribute the food, and he also had them gather up the leftovers. When all had eaten, Jesus sent them back into the crowd to to gather up the leftovers. Now, don't you find it a little curious as to why Jesus did not just let the people have what they had and take it home with them? Like, why would he have them bring it back? Well, my thought is that this food was a miraculous provision from the Lord. It was... His in the beginning and it was His in the end. Could it be that He was modeling, give us this day our daily bread? He was teaching His disciples and the people that He will satisfy the needs of the moment and that they could trust Him to provide for the needs that would present themselves tomorrow. So He used the disciples and He used the boys' lunch. Not much in the hands of Jesus, but a little is all that is needed to accomplish much in the hands of Jesus. The lunch was insignificant in the pres- insignificant in the presence of so much need. But Jesus take what is, takes what is given, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant, and he multiplies it. It is the nature of the kingdom of God. Just Jesus can take what is given him and multiply it one thousand fold. In the hands of Jesus, a willing gift, no matter what size it is, can be a feast in the wilderness. With Jesus' power and authority, ordinary, weak, and insignificant people can turn the world upside down. The impossible and overwhelming need was not an obstacle. It was an opportunity to demonstrate the goodness and sufficiency of Jesus' power and his authority. And this is what Jesus was teaching his disciples and what he's teaching us. He sufficiently provides for all. His provision is sourced in the Father. Notice that Jesus looked up to heaven. I believe that he took this opportunity to pray to the Father. And as he did so, he blessed the provisions, the people and the events that were going to take place. And the, the wording in verse 41 has an interesting parallel to the Last Supper. Notice that it says that Jesus, he took the loaves and then he blessed it and he broke the bread And he gave it to his disciples. Sounds familiar, right? It is believed by some that Mark worded this story in this way so as to foreshadow Jesus doing the Lord's Supper at the end. A picture, so to speak, of Jesus providing for all. Just as he sufficiently provided for all that were in this massive crowd, in the same way his death and resurrection are sufficient provision for all who believe. Notice, all eight all were satisfied in fact there was leftovers and one author makes a statement throughout the Bible God's provision for his people is symbolized by food from the manna in the wilderness to the messianic wedding feast in the New Kingdom in contrast man's desperate condition without God is often symbolized by what by famine lack of food and starvation when God talks of his blessing and his provision whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, it is likened to a feast. In Ezekiel's passages, God mentions feeding the flock multiple times. God commanded the Israelites even to commemorate their feasts throughout the year so that they would remember the mercy and the provision of the Lord. So Lord's Supper, which Jesus asked us to remember regularly, is it like a feast? We are to remember the mercy and provision of Of God for us through the sacrifice of Jesus. And this passage foreshadows that. All right, let's wrap this up. What can we learn from Jesus' compassion, his command, and his provision? Let's connect the dots. Here it is Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan in Ezekiel, Jesus is the perfect leader and the perfect shepherd, Jesus is the great provider. Jesus' work is all sufficient. Jesus is the one leader that we should follow in life. All right, so some of you might be saying, okay, we've heard this before. Like every week you keep telling us that Jesus is the one to follow, right? Why do you keep pointing us to Jesus? Why does the application for each message the past few weeks seem to be, don't fear, only believe in Jesus? Well, it's a good question. It's okay, you can start to get sick of it. Um, Here's the deal. What you believe is what you become. What you believe is what you become. You are what you eat, so to speak. My father has a quote in his email signature from Ralph Waldo Emerson. says this, That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship for what we are worshiping we are becoming. Why fill your heads with the truth about Jesus each week instead of a list of do's and don'ts? Why constantly point you to Jesus as the all-sufficient answer to everything in life? Why focus all your thoughts and hopes on Jesus? Why ask you to come to this, quote-unquote, desolate place every week to rest for a while as Jesus asked his disciples to do? Because we become what we believe. We must believe the truth. I think the great battle in this life is not between one nation or another, or between Democrats and Republicans, or between good and evil, even. I believe the great battle in life is between truth and falsehood. Truth sets free, lies put us in bondage. Truth results in peace, lies result in destruction. Lies produce sin, lies of accusation and condemnation of the devil result in bad habits unresolved pain and fear and anxiety and selfish motives all these bad things are a result of believing the lies the lies of satan lies which start with did god really say in contrast as we receive and believe the truth of god's word the holy spirit sets us free from those lies as we focus on him he not only sets us free he produces good fruit in us love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and self-control As a result of believing the truth of Jesus, we find strength to love as he loved. He gives us a heart like his. A heart of compassion as we look at the crowds because they are sheep without a shepherd. And that's what's going on out there. From a heart of compassion, Jesus taught the crowds truth. From a heart of compassion, we impart truth wrapped in grace. And that leads to further application. Jesus involves his disciples in the mission and in his mighty works. The disciples should have taken the initiative. Jesus is ever patient. My hunch is that Jesus wanted disciples to be the ones to come up with the solution. He wanted them to exercise the gifts given to them and the faith to say, Hey, Jesus, how about this? We find what we have, we use your power and your authority to multiply it. After all, you calmed the storm you healed lepers, you raised a girl from the dead. And Jesus, with his blessing, they could have stepped out and acted. He did ask them to give them something to eat after all. But even in them failing to do so, Jesus included them in his incredible miracle of feeding the 5,000 and shepherding the sheep as a good shepherd of his people. And this is what Jesus has called us to as members of his church to join him in his mission. Jesus' disciples took the food from his compassionate hand and they passed it on to others. We are to take the truth of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus from his hand, so to speak, and pass it on to others. And this is how I envision our church going forward. Everyday people within our congregation taking their insignificant gifts. And talents, and he's using them to provide truth and love and encouragement and finances and grace to others. Jesus uses his disciples to accomplish his mission. If you are burdened about something or about someone, if God has laid a certain need upon your heart, if your insides are moved with compassion, take the initiative and do something about it. And Jesus didn't hand the food out to everyone himself. His disciples did it. The staff and elders of this church cannot do all the work ourselves. In fact, this may surprise you, but we don't even have all the good ideas either. Um, If Jesus has laid something on your heart, find one of us. Let's talk about it and confirm God's call and then go and do it. This is the day and age to do it in. The disciples did not keep what he gave them to themselves. What Jesus provides us is not meant for us. He gives us our daily bread so that we can share it with others in need. This is love in action. We are dependent upon Jesus for our daily provision of truth and love and food and shelter and encouragement and finances and grace. In love and compassion, we share what he provides with those less fortunate. We impart truth. We give love. We serve food. We offer encouragement. We supply shelter. We assist with finances. We shower with grace. And because the source of these good gifts is Jesus, it will never dry up. And the disciples had to keep going back to the source for more. And this is, this is the end right here. This is so important. We cannot forget that Jesus is the one true shepherd. He is the one true source. He is the one leader we must follow. He is the one man, the one leader, the one shepherd to follow in all areas of life. Work, play, politics, survival, whatever it is. This is what being a disciple of Jesus demands, that he alone has our allegiance. If we follow the multiple voices around us, we will end up in dangerous and deadly places. We will eat poisoned and toxic food. This is why our world is struggling so much. They are sheep without a shepherd. They don't know whose voice to follow. All the voices are contradictory. They're divisive and destructive, And Jesus' voice is the one voice we can point others to. He's the one good shepherd that we all can follow. And that is our purpose. Jesus invites us to join with him in the work he's doing, pointing everyone to him. We must keep going back to Jesus all the time. If we try to do this work without his power and his authority, if we try to provide truth and love and encouragement and finances and grace without going back to Jesus as a source, we will fail. As we saw in the bad example of Herod, with self as the source, we hurt people and even good intentions become contaminated, filthy, dirty, and poisonous. Look around. Our world proves it. The source of all we do must be Jesus. As we saw in the example of the disciples, with Jesus as the source, the fruit of our lives will be nourishing and healthy, imparting life and hope to those who so desperately need it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this timely message. We know that the good gifts that you give us are not to be kept to ourselves. They are gifts from you to be used for the benefit of others, for seeing them come to faith in your Son, Jesus. Oh, our world desperately needs it right now. Please give us the eyes of Jesus where we look on the crowds and see them with compassion because they're sheep without a shepherd. And Father, use us. Help us come to you, take the food and the, the good things, the truth that you have given to us, and may we go forth, and may we share it with those who are desperately need it, to those who are starving for the truth. So guide our steps, protect us, provide for us, Minister to our hearts. I just thank you for this body. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are faithful to you, who love you. God, may we go forth in your power and your authority. May you use this little bunch, this small ragtag group of believers who just love you. May you do mighty things through us. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, why don't you stand for this benediction? I didn't keep you too late. We did pretty good. (laughs) Receive this benediction. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless.